120 to 134, uh, that, that, Christ, that people of faith would sing, making their journey, their pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem. And so for us as Christians, they become um, prayers and songs for our discipleship. Uh, they're wonderful helps to help us process our emotions, our troubles, our sins, our trials, all these different things um, as we follow Jesus. And so we're going to read Psalm 131. Eugene Peterson calls this a maintenance psalm, right? It's, it's, it's a heart check, right? It, you know, the engine light comes on in your car, I mean, after you get over the frustration of here we go again, right? We all have uh, different lights on the system of our heart that go off, pride, anger, fear, all, all these different things. This is a maintenance psalm. You know, do you trust that you are God's child this morning? So let's read our text and pray. This is the word of our God. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child's with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, this word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come this morning with noise in our heads. Uh, we come with a tendency to undervalue others, to overestimate ourselves, and to forget you. And so I pray you would calm the noise in our heads and our hearts that we might rest as, as we are. Uh, your beloved children in Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you be at work convicting us, challenging us, and leading us to, into the rest of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how is your headspace this morning? All right? What have, what have you been uh, turning over and over and over again in your, in your head? When was the last time you had a quiet mind, a quiet soul? Have you ever? <laughs> right? uh, it's one of those fascinating things is that you can be in a place of utter silence. Very rare these days, but you can be in a, in a quiet room and it still be really loud. Right, we've, we've been working through this, collect, this triad, this collection of psalms and we saw part of the reasons why our, why our headspace isn't quiet. It's Psalm 130, we're, we're moral failures, we have guilt, we have shame, we have regret, uh, we're, we're keeping score. God's keeping score. If he were to keep score, we'd be in trouble. And, and we forget the forgiveness that we have. Uh, we looked at Psalm 129 that, that reminds that a prayer for those who've been sinned against. In other words, we have the noise of what others have done to us uh, rattling around in our head. Um, the instant replays, the, the ways we wish we responded. And you can keep working all your, your way back through all of these different psalms. I mean, Psalm 127, work and children cause sleepless nights. Um, and so when you put all that in context, and then you hear David say, I have calmed and quieted my soul, that he, he's learned the, the secret to silencing this inner noise. Right? This is an amazing prayer. Do you, do you know how to do this? Do you know how to calm and quiet yourself? 
You know, Spurgeon called this the, one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest psalms to learn. All right? Because it takes a long time to learn humility, to willingly embrace being, having limitations, uh, to be confident in being a child of God. And so this morning, uh, I've got four points for a short psalm, so to, to mix it up. <laughs> um, let's, let's learn how to do this. What does David teach us uh, about this gift of a childlike faith? And the first gift we see is the gift of humility in verse 1, or the first part of verse 1, that, O Lord, my, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. And so maybe the question to ask is, what does it say about the human heart that you have to say out loud, hey, I'm not arrogant at the moment, <laughs> right? I mean, in some ways, it, can, it just sounds odd to say, Lord, I'm humble right now. Um, and the Bible has a lot to say about the heart, right? Jesus says it's from the heart that all these ugly things that we experience in the world and do and participate in, they come from inside. Um, they come from a heart that's lifted up. That's, that, that's a, a Hebrew phrase for pride, for arrogance. Um, that we have a human heart that seeks to tower over everyone and everything. It's very Babel-like. And so the way I think it's more helpful for us to understand what David is saying is by looking at the opposite. You know, what, is, what does a lifted up heart look like? It's, it's leading us to say, I want this gift of humility. Right? If you put yourself in, in David's shoes, this is a psalm of David. It's one of the few here in, in the Psalms of Ascent that come from David. And you know, if you know the trajectory of his life, this is an amazing prayer, right? His, his life tends to starts with humility and kind of cascades down into pride and ugliness. But you put yourself in his shoes. You remember how he became king. He became king as the eighth son that even his dad didn't think, ah, he's not going to be king. He's just a shepherd, right? He had a lowly beginning, Right? It's, yet David, the overlooked son, if you put it that way, becomes the one that God chooses. And it, so his journey does start from a place of humility, of being a nobody. Um, but if you think about it, what is, how do we respond when we are overlooked? Right? We take it personally, especially if you have an inferiority complex. Or you start to develop one based on that moment, right, where... Hey, they didn't notice me. I must not be a person who's noticeable. <laughs> right? And, it, and it, it can turn into, and it does turn into, instead of having a calm and quiet soul, you're starting to live for the approval of someone else. So many of the stories in the Old Testament are about sons overlooked by their dad wanting affirmation. And so that's what we do. We go out to prove ourselves. We got to make our name for ourselves. In some cultures, it turns into like parents have the full and final word. Uh, in our context, right, it's, it's I got to live for the, uh, the affirmation of my peers or my, my coworkers, whoever it might be, far, far away from a calm and quiet soul. Right. So David started in a place of humility. Um, but for David, once he got some God-given success, uh, he becomes king. 
Uh, he moves into Jerusalem. We find out that this power and comfort goes to his head. And so it's rather than staying with this calm and quiet soul, and he moves from an inferiority complex, so to speak, to a, to a superiority complex. Because right? you remember in 2 Samuel 11, this is the famous sin of David, that in the spring of the year, at that time when kings go to battle, David stays in Jerusalem. Right? It's a subtle knock on his character. Yeah. A good king would be with his army. David's staying at home in luxury. And so he goes out in his palace, and, and this lifted up heart affects the way he sees, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And the text says that she was purifying herself from her uncleanness. And so you, you start to connect the dots. David sees a beautiful woman worshiping, obeying God's commandments. Right? As, as the Old Testament taught her to do. And yet in that moment, Adam saw what was beautiful. His heart lifted up above God and above his word. Saw that she was beautiful in his eyes, and it says he took her. And she gets pregnant. And then he has to hide it. And he calls her Uriah, and Uriah comes back, and he does the honorable thing that, that, that soldiers should stay clean during times of warfare. And David is just, you know, his heart's up here, but he's made a mess. And so with a lifted up heart and eyes raised too high, what, how does that affect David? Same way it affects us, right? You devalue people and you forget God and his commandments. That's a superiority complex. So which are you more prone to, Right? Feeling inferior or superior, it probably just depends on the moment because our, our hearts go like this. You know, it's a roller coaster ride. So I think at this point it's good, again, to, to hear the warning. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8 that warns God's people against pride. It warns us against, against this. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, it says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes by which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when you have your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. In other words, when everything is awesome, watch out for then your heart will be lifted up and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, who fed you with manna, that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good. And then it says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power, my might, by my hand, have gotten me this wealth. See, here's part of why Psalm 131 is so hard for us to live out. Because we have forgetful hearts. Right? Successful people get busy. We have responsibilities, we have obligations, we have cares, we have concerns. And as uh, Kierkegaard would say, the, the philosopher, right, the result of busyness is that a person rarely has time to form a heart. You rarely have time to slow down and speak to yourself. And so because we're busy, we stop praying. 
You know, we see the, the engine light come on and say, ah, it'll be fine. <laughs> right? And then we stop withdrawing, we stop spending time with our Heavenly Father, we stop asking for help, and all of a sudden you find yourself with a lifted up heart and eyes raised too high and forgetting God and hurting people. Right? See, if you embody this prayer and say, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, you become the kind of person that remembers that God is a good creator, he's the giver of every good gift, and he is the one who brought you out of slavery to sin, to yourself. Right? He's the one who causes you to flourish. So, do you remember that? <laughs> Are you too busy to calm and quiet your soul? Right. There's another way we, um, we have trouble calming and, and our anxious souls here with a a heart that's lifted up tends to hate limitations. Right? They tend to hate being told no. Right? So Uzziah, here's another king like David. Right? Uzziah, this is uh, the, the rarely read, but if you, if you persevere through Leviticus, you eventually get to Second Chronicles chapter 26, um, verse 16, right? King, king Uzziah is one of those, another one of those kings who started out well. It says he, was, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But as you fast forward through his story, after some military success, in verse 15 it says, Uzziah's fame spread far because he was marvelously helped. Right? There's that subtle hint, hey, he didn't do this on his own. God got him there. But he got strong. And when he was strong, it says in verse 16, he grew proud. And when he grew proud, it was to his destruction. And all it took for him then with an arrogant heart as he walked into God's house and said, I can do whatever I want. And so he tried to light incense inside the temple, which God had said was reserved only for priests. He didn't stay in his lane. And here's where a lifted, heart, lifted up heart goes. It doesn't matter who tells you to stop. You don't want to listen. Right? Uzziah had an, uh, an intervention inside the temple by 80 priests. You know, the, the stereotypical intervention is a handful of people that love you. No, this is, this is like a, the size of this room all saying, stop. And rather than repenting, Uzziah gets angry. He gets angry at those telling him to stop. And so God strikes him with leprosy. The, the, the sickness of his heart becomes visible on the outside. Yeah. See, a lifted up heart... Gets angry at God's commandments, hates being corrected. I'm, I'm wise in my own eyes. I'm an adult. I'm, I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. I can figure this out. Don't you dare tell me what to do. Right. And if you go that route, how are you going to heal your inferiority complex or your superiority complex? Because right. it's up to you to focus on you. It becomes all about you. Which is, by definition, a heart that's lifted up. Right? And when that happens, your eyes get lifted too high. Uh, this is a Hebrew expression for haughty eyes, judgmental eyes. So you can see how this is all connected. But once your heart goes astray, it becomes really hard to relate to people. And so how are you, how are you getting along with other people? Right? 
Are you able to associate with those you, you, your heart would consider the lowly? That's Romans 12, right? The implication that because of who Jesus is, live together in harmony, even with the lowly, the weak, the poor. All right, it's, it's the idea that you become the... With eyes not raised too high, you're not ashamed to do menial tasks. You're not ashamed to serve. Because a humble heart sets you free to love others. Right. See, with... I'll put it this way. One of, one of my... I probably used this story before, but one of my colleagues in, in Madagascar was a guy named Henny. Um, and he had a big adventurous streak, got me into a lot of outdoorsy stuff. But one of the things he did... You know, you talked about beggars this morning, or people asking for money with the line of monkeys. You know, when you're, when you're in a poorer country, it just becomes an ordinary part of your life to have people to ask you for money. You know, here we just roll up our windows and keep our eyes focused straight ahead. When they're in your face every day, it just becomes harder and harder to have a humble heart and to see their humanity. And so he struck up a relationship with a homeless man who was homeless because he couldn't keep a job, and he couldn't keep a job because he had epilepsy, and he would constantly have seizures. And so we, we gave him a, a one-room uh, uh, apartment on, on our property, and started, he started providing medication in hopings that would help the epilepsy and help him get a job and get on his feet. And one day we came home and, and found him uh, just stuck on the ground in the midst of a seizure. And... He had soiled himself. And what struck me in the moment, being paralyzed by my lack of medical awareness and all these things running through my head, was Henny didn't hesitate to say, here's what he needs. He needs a bath. Right? And so he, he did. He, he took off his soiled clothes. He cleaned them. He bathed them. We carried him back to bed and, and let him rest. It was this beautiful humble task done in Christ's name. All because, right, his eyes were not raised too high. Because when our eyes are raised too high, we scoff at service. We get irritated by being interrupted. And we tend to treat others as, as our servants. So this is the weight of David's prayer, just by looking at its opposite of a humble heart is a gift from God, and this is the kind of person I want to be around. Someone who's willing to serve, someone who's not a non-anxious presence. Because right? if you have humility, you have the ability to slow your heart's clamoring to be the center of attention, and it sets you free to love and serve. Right? Second, we're going to fly through the rest of these. Um, we're given the gift of limitation here. Right? I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And, and so this is just a good time to stop and say, um, y'all are only human. Right? There are things too great and too marvelous for you and for me. And that is okay, and that is by God's design. Right? We need to hear it because we live in a culture that hates limitation and loves to tell us, that you can live as if there's 28 hours in a day. Right? But consider this, this observation from the spiritual monk Thomas Merton. This is 50 years ago, right? We think we're busy. This is 50 years ago. He 
He says, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone with everything, that's to succumb to violence. Because the frenzy of our activism kills our own inner capacity for peace. Right. Do you hear what he's saying? When you say yes to everything, you're just incredibly busy. It becomes impossible when you reach beyond what you're able to do to find peace. And so David is remembering his humanity. I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. These are it's what we're saying. There are things that in God's wisdom he has not given to me and I I'm okay with that. And so this prayer is helping us praise God for making us limited. Right. So maybe it's good to say this out loud. It's not sinful to not be able to help everyone. Right. It's not sinful to not be able to be in more than one place at one time. Right. When Jesus was in Capernaum, healing. He wasn't in Cairo, Egypt, and yet this is the perfect life. Right? It's not sinful to need a, to need a nap, to rest. I know, and all God's people said amen. <laughs> now you get to convince your boss. But you look at Jesus. He's, he wears himself out. He takes a nap in a boat. Right? It, it's not sinful to say, I don't know. I don't, it's okay that I don't know everything, that I'm not the most informed uh, Twitter warrior, right? I mean, to, to occupy yourself with something too great and marvelous in the Hebrew is to literally walk around, that's the word occupy, it's to walk around frantic because you can't be everywhere, know everything, and fix whatever you have going down or slow down time, right? It's, it's literally to walk around with things that are ba- bigger than your pay grade as a human being, as a creature, So what are you occupying yourself with as you walk around? Right? If we are created and God is a good creator, as Jesus will tell us, do not be anxious about anything because you're of more value than the birds and God provides for the birds. Right? You, know, you, you find peace in being able to pray. Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Right? There are things I do not know. And he hasn't told me. But there are things that he has told me. To, he's revealed them to us and our children. So we do have things to think about. Meditate on his law, his, his word, his gospel. See, in this prayer, David is saying, as I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous, I have limitations. I'm human, and that's okay. There are things out there beyond my ability to change because I have God, because the, Lord, the Lord's care for me is like a mother with its child, I can trust. See, this is a short psalm to read, but really long to learn. Look at the last gift here, the gift of childlike faith. It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And, you know, this... this Repetition in the poetry means this is, this is where we're supposed to camp out, right? 
what does a weaned child look like with its mother? They're able to climb up into their mom's lap and rest in her care, in her love, often taking a nap while the chaotic world continues around them, right? They're not agitated. They're not in that infant neediness stage where they're just clawing and begging for it to be nursed, right? You know, their infant neediness has been calmed, right? And that's where this psalm leads us, that you can quiet your soul, humble your heart, tame your, lower your judgmental eyes, tame your unrealistic ambitions, be okay with your limitations, and trust that the Lord will love you, care for you, protect you like a weaned child with its mother. It's an amazing place to live. Which is why, I think, the psalm becomes even better, new, better news when you realize, I can't do that. Right? I can't do that on my own. I need Jesus to pray this psalm for me, the greater David. You can calm and quiet your soul knowing this is Jesus' prayer because the way this works out in the storyline of the Bible, this is the, the problem with David and Uzziah. It's our problem. You know, we're, we're, we're called to rule on earth as God rules. And once we taste power, success, and comfort, our hearts get lifted up and we forget the giver of every good gift. And so listen to Jesus. This is, this is Jesus in Matthew 11. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. He says, all things are mine. And yet, with that kind of power and authority, he sees it as, as a gift, something to use to serve. Right? Because immediately after saying, all things are mine, they've been given to me by my Father, they're a gift, he opens up the invitation to the crowds and says, come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, to be Jesus is to have all authority, yet he also says, I'm lowly in heart. He doesn't occupy himself with things too great and marvelous in his humanity. Because that's what it means for Jesus to be fully God and fully man at the same time, that he embraced our human limitations, that our creator would become part of the creation to share in our humanity to make time for us, the lowly, the anxious, the afraid, the proud. We think of the limitations Jesus had to embrace. Time. The eternal God lived through 24-hour days, just like you and I. And with that time, he had to, like, didn't have literal calendars the way we do, but he had to budget his time as a human being, right? He, the eternal God had to schedule time to go calm and quiet his soul. He would withdraw to go pray to his heavenly father. Right. Uh, he was limited by place, right? He was, 
He was born in Bethlehem. He died in Jerusalem. He, he was not preaching to every soul that existed on earth at the time of his incarnation. He even was told no by God. Right? Leading up to the cross, right? you have, all things are mine. They have all been handed to me by my Father. Yet Christ prays, Father, if it be your will, let not this cup pass let this cup pass from me. If there's, if there's any other way other than facing your wrath, your judgment, for human pride, the pride of your people, take it away from me. Yet God says no. And he allows him to drink from that cup. Jesus says, nevertheless, your will be done. It's a place of humility. It's astounding that he who is in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to fight for, something to hold on to. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that for you and for me? So that you and I might receive the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, so that you might cry out, Abba, Father, like a child. Right? See, the fascinating thing is Jesus says, the way you enter into my kingdom is to become like Psalm 131, like a child. In fact, no one can come into God's presence. No one can come to the Father unless you first become like a child. That's Matthew 18. In other words, the way to receive this gift of humility and to embrace your limitation and to have a childlike faith is to humble yourself and say, I needed Jesus to die for me, to take away God's wrath. I'm the kind of person that deserves judgment, which, which heals my judgmental eyes, and come to the one who is gentle and lowly in heart and receive his rest. See, when you come by faith in Jesus as God's child, right, you have Jesus who prayed the psalm perfectly and lived it out. And that's now your reputation as the one who trusted your father, not just in flashes and moments, but from birth through death. Right? That's, that's what we mean by that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You have God's righteousness, which means you have the perfect reputation in Christ through faith as the perfect child, the beloved one. And that starts to go to work on your inferiority complex. <laughs> right? If God is not mad at me, why do I care what they think so much? Right? It heals your superiority complex, but it turns out you're not God. <laughs> right? You can't look down on someone because I'm the kind of person that God had to die for. Nor can you walk around with self-loathing and say I'm unlovable because the infinite became finite to the point of death to have you. Right? And so we're going to climb into our, our God's lap this morning like a weaned child with its mother. We have this God who looks at us and says, um, it's the will of our Father that none of his little ones will perish. 
And it's not just a one-time deal in, in terms of adoption. He's, he's with you to the end. That's the gift of childlike faith. It's trusting like Jesus, but recognizing, right? I need the gift of Jesus' perfect faith in order to pray this prayer. And that starts to calm my anxious soul. Lastly, last point here, right? We looked at the gifts of humility, the gift of limitation, this childlike faith. Verse 8, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And here's what happens, right? As you start to find yourself at peace and at rest in Christ, you become equipped to do ministry. You become equipped to serve. You start to think about other than your own personal piety. Right? Inner quietness can easily become a way just to reinflate our ego, even as Christians. But I love the way David moves from, I am at peace. I want my people to be at peace too. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Put your faith in Christ, who gives you the gift of rest. Right. So when you, when you pray this prayer, O Israel, hope in the Lord, you're saying, Lord, give them the gift of humility, the, the, the gift of limitation, the gift of a childlike faith. So let's go and learn what it means to calm and quiet your soul like a weaned child because you've humbled yourself and put your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we come with anxious souls, and yet we hear this wonderful gift of rest that we are yours from now until we see you. So help us to hear yet again these words that we can to not be anxious about anything, for the birds neither gather nor store and yet God provides for them, and, and our Heavenly Father knows that we are of more value than the birds, and you promise to provide. So as we trust you, Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and trust that you will provide for us. May we leave here as calm and confident in the gospel so that others might see Christ in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. This is